special edition, special surprise for you here, Dream Preview. Now, we're in the slow time of the summer, so we won't overwhelm you with too much show, but we've got a good one. And I could drag the, Listen, I was always the type of kid that I wanted to open the gifts on Christmas Eve. And you know what? Didn't get any gifts on Christmas Eve. But I wanted them. So I'm going to make this one simple and not drag it out for you. Let's get right to the pleasant surprise that bodes well for the football season. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the world. Steve Fezzik, everyone. And we're going to have Steve. And again, like we said, and like I said, Fez, some well-deserved time off. And anyone that's listening to the pod knows a couple things. One is I try really hard to produce good content. Two, when I screw up, I get very mad at myself. Three, when someone else screws up, especially if as you that's been there eight years, been beside me so often, I've gotten a little too angry about it. And it's all been in the right spirit of us achieving, but it's been wrong in the way that it was expressed. And I think us figuring that out and figuring, hey, let's find a better way because your passion to share your wonderful insights with the audience is as strong as ever. And if anything, it takes this kind of close partnership over an extended period to get comfortable enough in a way to think, okay, I can be as hard on him as I am on myself, but... It just isn't fun. One, it's not fun for the audience. And two, it's unnecessary. So I see that. And the fact that our discussions have helped me see that even more clearly. And, you know, some feedback from the fans. That, to me, makes me more enthusiastic and optimistic than ever. And we're going to really find the roles for you. With AJ especially, I think it's going to be great with uh, some market reading and you know participation in the main dream preview but it's great to have you back and i think that for me and i think for both of us lessons learned and onward and upward we got two topics for steve today and uh he's in studio and i think his expertise is well well positioned for this the first one fez you had a list of your 11 best players. Now, listen, we picked 11 because it made the point. 12 wouldn't have made the point as well. 10 made the point, but not as well as 11. So we got 11 players that were your top 11. These weren't 11 of your 20. These were your top 11. And now you're thinking, how are those players? What's their role right now in the Final Four? And even counting the Clippers when they were in the Final Four and man, it doesn't speak well to the talent in this Final Four. Yes, unprecedented the injuries that have occurred amongst the f- top 11 players in the NBA. As the Final Four concluded, none, zero of the top 11 players were still actively playing AD, LeBron, Embiid, Durant, Harden, Kawhi, the Joker, Lillard, Giannis, Curry, and Luka. So, What are we left with with the final four teams at the end of the series here in the semis? Well, we got Booker, we got Chris Paul, and we got Young. And going into the playoffs, and here's the key, going in, none of those players would have made my top even 11 
quite the unique situation. In most cases in a Final Four, you'll see about half of the top 11 players still playing. Talk about parity this year. None of the top 11 players were playing as the Final Four, the semis, concluded. You want to think about the league these days and the amount of talent that's out there. The, the advocates for the NBA are right about that. The talent is amazing. Young, Trey Young has stepped up in these playoffs, I think, in a pretty unique way. Booker, you could make the case, has stepped up. And Chris Paul, if you were redoing your list with the benefit of the playoffs so far, how many of those guys break your top 11? None of them. None. So who do you, who, who do you have 12th right now? I would have Trey Young 12th, Booker 13th, Chris Paul 14th. So the, the next three are all in the playoffs, but they even with the performance. Now, how, how much have you upgraded Young in your mind? Like a half point or? I've upgraded him a full point. I had him like right around 20th best player going into the playoffs. So we were debating before the Milwaukee Hawks game, this game five, and I was thinking, you know, Trey Young might be almost worth as much as Giannis. I know that's going to be a minority, and I'm not saying he's that good. I'm saying on this team in this playoffs with the injuries they've got the market agreed with you they the rationale was hey Milwaukee was favored by what eight when Giannis was healthy and Trey Young was healthy and or I'm sorry uh yeah so if they're both out and they're even the line should be about the same the fact the line was four and a half eventually says the market says that Giannis is much much more valuable but I can't believe you upgraded him a full point which means right now you think Young is worth Four points. So he was worth three before. Yes. And you had Giannis worth seven? I do. Still am worth seven. Yeah. Oh, Michael Jordan was worth six. Now, I, I know you've got the uh, you've got the rationale of the, the scoring pace. Yes, because now we're getting 220 points per game instead of 190. So George Gervin was worth nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, okay. And Chris Paul, have you upgraded him at all? Oh, absolutely. So I had Chris Paul, you know, right around number 20. And so I've um, definitely um, stepped him up as well. In the playoffs? Because I could almost make the case he's had a bad playoffs. Like, I mean, the Mm -hmm. post-COVID, he wasn't great? Well, I I can't. I'm... I'm assuming he's 100 percent from from COVID. If he's not, if he's still yeah. impacted by the COVID, but, even, but then when yeah. he was hurt with his wing or whatever. He, yeah, but these are all injuries. I'm saying 100 yeah. percent. How does Chris he get Paul. upgraded though if he has injuries? And like, what what were the now? Listen, the last game was great. You know, the closeout. I, I just wonder. It's if, a good point. Uh, yeah, I wonder if Paul's more narrative right now. Though, again, let's give the guy credit. And I, he gets Aiden so involved that he he has single handedly. No one was talking about DeAndre before no, the playoffs. I mean, he was a big. But I mean, especially with the whole Luca thing and that. And with Young, it's interesting that the, the two left or um, yeah, two of the three taken as the top three in that draft, and Luke is the one not playing right now. And you see the true chemistry how good those two are, like when they're walking hand-in-hand. Hand. I know they're about a foot difference in height. Off the court after the post-game interviews, it's really uh, – it's almost touching the chemistry that this team has. Chris, you know, <laughs> I can – let's just say I appreciate Chris Paul, right? So there <laughs> – all right. So let's transition. And we've been talking a lot about the scenario of – and as we're watching here, the Bucks are up by 13, almost the fourth, three minutes left, I see. We won't assume the Bucks are going to win, though, the, you know, they have a good chance. 
But we were saying there's three scenarios. One, Atlanta wins, and it's Atlanta-Phoenix. And I think Trey Young's health at that point won't be a big issue, multiple games down the road. Number two could be Milwaukee wins, and Giannis comes back. And number three is Milwaukee wins and no Giannis. So we thought we'd get Fez's perspective on those scenarios, specifically the Giannis with and without for Phoenix. Now, full disclosure, the Westgate had a number up before Giannis got hurt, and it had Milwaukee, who doesn't would not have home court. Again, oh, I'm sorry, would not. Yeah, Phoenix would. They had Milwaukee at minus 150. That felt high to me. Um, Mackenzie and I did some imputed stuff where we were looking at the series price, looking at the title odds. And at the time, we thought it'd be like Phoenix, you know, 110, 120 based upon that. So when Westgate came out at 150, we were surprised. But you've got some thoughts that go, the I think, the other way, away from Milwaukee in a way, um, but maybe more towards Milwaukee than we would think. And do me a favor, especially dig in to the difference between with and without Giannis. Because I think the idea that one really valuable player, how much they swing the odds of a series, is fascinating. So just kind of get into it however you want. Very good. So I have Milwaukee, the slightly better team with 100% Giannis. Specifically, Milwaukee, seven points better than an average team. Phoenix, six points better. So obviously one point better over the course of a seven-game series. You're looking at a seven-point differential. But Phoenix has home court. Well, that only matters if there's a game seven that's worth about three points. So you add it up over the series, we expect Milwaukee to outscore Phoenix by four points. That's a very minimal edge. Translates to to Milwaukee being just a tiny favorite in the series, maybe minus 115, maybe minus 120, so that Westgate minus 150 number back when Giannis was 100% looks too steep, in my opinion. Now, things totally change if Giannis isn't there. I've got Giannis worth seven points to the line. So now Milwaukee, instead of being an elite team, seven points better than a normal team, they go down to a zero, seven minus seven, an average team. So Phoenix going ahead and hosting an average team, well, on a neutral, they'd be a six-point favorite. That would translate to them winning about 70% of the time. Now, you have to adjust for the home courts each and every game, but if you're going to win about 70% of the time on a neutral over a seven-game series, one thing we know about the NBA, the better team almost always wins in seven-game series, and their chance of winning, I would say, is slightly above 90% because Phoenix would essentially be playing an average team, and that feels right. You'd feel like an average team isn't going to beat Phoenix except if something very, very unusual happens. Okay, now, listen, this is where professionals tend to disagree or will disagree. Mackenzie's not quite the professional, but he's getting there. Mackenzie, (laughs) what do you think? Love the analysis. Love to see you back in the studio, Fez. I think seven Wait, points. You don't need such a wind-up. Get to the question. <laughs> seven points. I'm looking at my players list. I've never put a guy at seven. I've put a guy at six and was reprimanded. I don't think Giannis is a point and a half better than anybody in the league. So but that, that's interesting. Who's number two, right? Is Giannis number one? Yes. He's the most valuable player in the NBA. Oh, yes. Though he can't shoot free throws <laughs> and he, he doesn't initiate in the fourth quarter. Two-time NBA and then this year MVP, he was competitive yeah. for NBA, for, for MVP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the second most valuable player is worth what? Six. Okay. Hey, there's a lot of love of Giannis. I don't know. You know, you bring up a great point that especially considering 
he his outside shot has completely disappeared from the free throw line out, and maybe I should be adjusting him downward. For yeah. that, certainly. I think in the playoffs, in the regular season, I mean, that's interesting. What's Giannis worth in the regular season? Six. So you think he's worth more in the playoffs? Plays a lot more minutes. Now, that's interesting. Mm. I, I think that, I think that, but you'd have to say he's less. That's interesting. His PR, his PR was uh, number eight when we checked a game ago, if I remember. Because it was surprising. I thought he had, I was looking and thinking he's had a great playoffs. He actually had a better PER last year in the playoffs and a better PER the year before. So the two flameout years, he was playing effectively better. If you, you know, a lot of people believe in PER, Hollinger's stats. It's an interesting perspective, the two flameout MVP years. But you're right. But yeah, when, the but, playoffs. But the postseason is right? about the, the, yeah. the MVP doesn't matter. Well, if anything, the flameouts is is because of how great Milwaukee was in the regular season, yes. right? No team had had a two-year run like that and not won a title. So maybe my assumption that, well, with the extra minutes, he's better better in the playoffs might be a maybe leap of faith. Out, yeah, evens out. Yeah. All right. So, but listen, that's the whole reason there's bookies, right, for people to bet and disagree. Um, anything else, McKenzie? No, that's all for me. All right. And Milwaukee looks like they could win Today, they're up 11 right now, uh, entering the four or 30 seconds left in the third. Does that, it's one game, but without Giannis to play so well, maybe that's just telling a story. Yeah, and specifically Drew Holiday, who is disappointed <laughs> mightily. Are you, are you putting a dig in at McKenzie's prop? I, I co signed that. What's, what's, what's his point count right now, or is it score count? Point count? 22. We got a hope. We got a chance. We got oh, a chance. Ankle, another ankle injury. Oh, wait, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> But what's interesting is that Holiday actually just went under by half a point last game when the bench is emptied with four minutes to go. So, hey, if Milwaukee goes Did on. Did you a, have the over with him? I had the under. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know. So, I, I, an undeserved wrong side winner. All right. So, we're going to say thank you to Fez. And, again, we're going to try to make this targeted. And we're talking about with AJ and you having, like, a Monday kind of market report, a late late in the week market maybe. I think that, I mean, listen, of all the stuff you do, Fez, the uh, reading the market, I'm not sure. In fact, I know I haven't met anyone as good. That could be a good use of time. Absolutely. And if I may, can I give one play Oh, early for NFL Week 1? Absolutely. I mean, listen, when did we, in fact, in in homage... Don't know about the people. When we ever not won a free pick? Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Bonus. NFL Week 1, Buffalo minus 6, hosting the Steelers. I am on Buffalo. Let's get on this right now. What's going on with the marketplace? A whole lot of love for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Season win got bet up from 10.5 to 11. Looks like it may go as high as 11.5. Contrast that, RJ, with your Pittsburgh Steelers. As you are aware, major problems on the O-line, people not liking the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and that, the Castro, I could not. I mean, I guess in hindsight, those in the no-no knew he was really banged up his ankle, but man, I, he was the one saving grace. Exactly. So the Sharps are betting Pittsburgh under 8.5. I could see their season win closing 8. I'll give you the math. When you've got an 11-season win team against an 8-season win team, the math factor I use is 2.3 times the differential. So there's a three uh, season win differential. Three times 2.3 makes this line, well, 6.9 on a neutral. 
This game's in Buffalo at home field as well. Minus six. That won't last. You'll never see that come next month. Lay six now. Ooh. And plus, with the new O-line, if I had to bet the first half, let's say we said force bet, you bet on or off a team for the whole half year. I would want to bet against Pittsburgh in the first half of the year more than anything because O-line cohesion takes time. Sure, continuity, big problem. Only three pre- preseason games also. So, uh, I, yeah, that, I like that. I do. In the home, I mean, it looks like, again, with COVID, the direction is moving towards almost a full stadium, you got to figure, too, right? Yes. What's your guess on home field this year? Two and a half. And that's probably what it was almost before, right? Yes. All right, so bonus best bet. We're going to make sure to be doing some extra good stuff and that's really focused on Steve's the best of what he brings to the table. And it's been eight years with us, and he's got a lot of fans out there, and he, I'm one of them. So it's, it's great to have us in a situation where he can max out his mm, the benefit for the listeners. That's the key. So thank you, Steve. Thank you, RJ. Okay, Chris Paul, not on Fez's list. How good is he? Eh, I'm not as worried about that. What I'm interested in is why this feels like such him making the finals a coronation when in truth, if he doesn't win it, what's it mean? We talked about this very thing today on Straight Out of Vegas with Jonas Knox joining me, and I don't think I could say it any better. Let's listen. Was Chris Paul a monster performance last night in his old stomping grounds in L.A. at Staples Center against the Clippers as the Phoenix Suns get a 130-103 to route of L.A. Phoenix moves on to the NBA Finals to represent the Western Conference. Okay, so let's think. Stockton and Malone, these were two players that had a storied career, had not won a title late in their career, They play the Bulls two straight years and lose both of them. Malone went on to be with the Lakers when they got swept, I think it was, against the Pistons. Never got a title. Barkley, another guy that is famous for not having – another great who's famous for not having a title. Barkley made it against Jordan with, with the Suns, lost, and here we are. Jonas, it strikes me that I've never heard someone say, yeah, that guy never won a title, but he got to one title game, title series, and thus, you know, he's, he's in the club. My point would be, if Chris Paul doesn't win this next round, all of this is pretty meaningless to his legacy. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, same thing, you know, with uh, Gary Payton. I mean, he was uh, before he ended up winning a title with the Miami Heat. That was way later in his career. But Gary Payton was always considered, you know, if not the best, one of the best point guards in the NBA. Uh, and he got Seattle to the finals with George Carl and, and those teams against Michael Jordan. But there was always that look at him that, well, you know, he's not an NBA champion. It wasn't until way later that he ended up grabbing one uh, late in his career. In fact, I would make the case amongst those who are famous for not winning it, I don't know, I can't think of any offhand who didn't at least make a title game or a title series. By the way, that 2004 Lakers loss, it was in five. Some would call it a gentleman's sweep, but no, let's say five. <laughs> but let me ask you, John, I mean, think about it. Elway, before his you know, last two seasons, was I think he had been in three Super Bowl's losing. Obviously, 
uh, Jim Kelly and the Bills, they were famous for being. Who's the great player that has didn't even make a title game? So in a way, Chris Paul is going from a very small group of postseason failure to a bigger group. But if he doesn't win, he's still in the the non-champions group. And I guess I'm just confused with all the sense of a coronation. Where And I really liked his energy after the game where he was talking to the Clipper fans, talking about though, instead of avoiding that conversation, he was being pretty candid about, you know, the struggles they had in L.A. where they couldn't get all the way. But he loved the fans. He loved the city. I mean, to me, that was class act all the way for Chris Paul. But once again, that feels like a conversation after you win a title, not after you get to a title series. Closing thoughts on that one. Yeah, there was there was a lot of celebration, and I don't know if that was sort of a, a passive aggressive way of him taking a shot at the Clippers. Um, he was not. Oh, you you thought it felt very genuine to me. Yeah, he, he was not uh, well liked by a lot of people in L.A. I, I I know that from talking to some people that uh, you know just. But isn't really he famous well for guy. not being well liked in general? And and the rationale being he's very demanding, and that to some degree. You know, it's a trade-off with him that he's going to be the kind of guy that can come in to Phoenix, take a team that hadn't made the playoffs, I think, for seven years, and get them to a title round. That's the kind of guy that breaks a few eggs, to quote Nicholson, when he makes an omelet. Yeah, or did it go beyond that? I mean, I had just heard that there's a little bit of a uh, you know teacher's pet type feel. You know, like one of those. That's that's how teammates had had looked at him. But uh, he was fantastic last night, and it does feel though like this is already being grooved to where we're starting to talk about this is the playoff run of Chris Paul, and that's sort of the storyline that we're going to go with. You know, can Chris Paul finally do it and finally get it done? But I'm with you. If you know he ends up in the NBA Finals against a less than 100% Atlanta Hawks team or Milwaukee Bucks team, and he loses, I, I you know I think that's got to be part of the conversation about his short shortcomings you know maybe the lead part of the conversation based on all the injury luck they've had on the run so far or maybe maybe it's that Chris Paul had a certain approach early in his career it had a lot of redeeming qualities to it but it was imperfect and it maybe was a hindrance to success net net but then later in his career he evolved I don't know. It's just, to me, once someone gets a rep, and especially, listen, I don't feel bad for athletes very often, but one area where I think it's fair to feel bad for them is if they somehow grow up at 30, sometimes it's too late. For most people, you grow up at 30, it's like, yeah, see that dude with the two kids and the good father? Yeah, he had had a wild 20s. No one ever indicts that person for that. But if you're a Des Bryant, and I mean, we can go up and down the list, you have some peccadilloes, you have some, you know, human imperfections that probably are accentuated by being privileged in a way of, you know, being a great athlete and, and, and being um, accommodated. I think it's fair to say great athletes, even at a young age, are accommodated. And thus, if you're not, I've often said the hardest thing there is to do is to be honest about your own failings and improve them. The, the the impossible thing to do is to improve things when you're not required to. If it's just a choice, humans are going to choose the easier route most almost always. But an athlete that's forced to choose, sometimes they grow up. Oftentimes that's in their th- early 30s, and oftentimes that's too late. 
I mean, do you get, I mean, again, being in LA and when Chris Paul was there also, do you get any sense that some of the things that people were rightfully critical of with Chris Paul have evolved on his part as he's gotten um, older? No, I, I haven't gotten that sense. Yeah, I, I so just, what, what I, is, is the teacher's pat? Who was the teacher if Chris Paul was the teacher's pat? Um, it was that was just one of the things that I had heard when he was out here that he that he you know came across as you know trying to report back to the coach at all times, not really the greatest teammate in the world. Um, you know, it's one thing to be you know hard on your teammates, but he took it a step further. Um, and you know, a lot of the guys from back in the day just didn't get along with him, um, whether you know be DeAndre Jordan or whether was Blake Griffin like those guys just didn't really get along with him I think that's why you see Pat Beverly act the way he acted I think that's why you see Rondo get in a fist fight with him on the floor um they're, they're just, Rondo they're, Rondo played no it was a couple of years ago <laughs> oh okay okay yeah I was thinking was he on the floor I didn't see that no, no. <laughs> coach's decision now <laughs> let, let me ask you a question though there's a saying and I'll paraphrase it because I don't have the exact wording but like you can tell more about a man from his enemies, that a certain type of person is going to rub a certain other type of person the wrong way. And I know there are the types that go through life and they don't rub anyone the wrong way and they're pretty milk toast and okay, fine. But for the, if you're going to take a position, right? Colin takes a position on takes and he's taking a he's not too lukewarm often right he takes a strong position when he feels something and you know what why do the, why do professionals like that do that and Colin's one of the great professionals when it comes to talk radio why does he do that cuz he wants you either to agree with him hell yeah or you're crazy as we like to say in our segment, you're crazy, Colin. Either way, Colin wins. Either way, Stephen A. Smith wins because people are emotionally engaged. It feels like a guy like Chris Paul that takes a, a staunch stance is often going to have critics just as much as he's going to have acolytes, people that love him. If we go down the list of DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, uh, you know, even well, Rondo. Let's throw that to the side because Rondo's a high-level basketball guy intellectually. Who knows what that was about? But with his teammates, it strikes me that those are players that, as, as the years have passed, Chris Paul looks a lot better than them in regards to the kind, how his habits and his worldview allowed him to proceed in his career versus the other two. I don't think I'd want to be on DeAndre Jordan's side against Chris Paul in an argument. Does that doesn't it seem like maybe we're damning him because he's got critics? But looking at the critics, I'm not sure that it's that damning. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, look, I don't know the guy. I'm just saying what I had heard from when he. Yeah, was yeah, you know, that's why LA. I'm having I the mean, conversation. I mean, yeah, and again, I'm, being in the city gives you insight. Yeah, no, and and I just think that he's he came across to certain people as being a little bit over the top when it was hard on his teammates, and players just didn't respond well to that. And whether that's you know an indictment on them being too sensitive or an indictment on him being you know too negative or too aggressive with them, it just didn't it didn't go over real well. Which is why there was a feeling last night of while people were celebrating Chris Paul and sort of damning Pat Beverly for the way that he acted, you just wondered what was done during the course of the game uh, from Chris Paul when it came to his actions, his comments that he made towards those players. Okay. Mackenzie, after the break of SOV, you brought up an interesting, you think, analog to Chris Paul as a player. Yes, Steve Nash of the same Phoenix Suns two times MVP 
if you look at the 2016 list by ESPN, greatest point guards of all time, they had Nash six, Paul seven. So right there, I think this playoff run separates them. I think it separates them from him and also guys like John Stockton because John Stockton had well, Carl Malone. You think, you think that, that Chris Paul is better than John Stockton? I do. I do. Well, where was Stockton got on the ESPN list? Number three. Okay. Who was yeah. two? I hope not Mark Jackson. Got it right here. Number two was Oscar Robertson. The oh, big O. Oh, the big O. The big O. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't around for him. But I think it's a big deal. He's the best player on this team, in my opinion. It's funny. Everyone says Devin Booker's now. Where were they this summer? You know, I used to, I was high on Devin Booker when no one liked him, but okay. Either way, he's one of the best players on a team that made the finals in the modern era. There's not a long list of guys that have done that. You got Magic Johnson, you got Steph Curry, and I think Chris Paul's right in that next tier. So you're saying that the best player on a team that made the finals. Isn't that the whole point that there is no made the finals? Who gives a shit? I've never once heard. Yeah. I've never once heard so and so did X, Y, and Z, and oh by the way, he made the finals. Right. And <laughs> so, so I'm confused by your comment. Well, Chris Paul would mention they talked about him before the playoffs. Hey, you're going to face the Lakers. Isn't that unfair? He's like, I've been facing great teams my whole career well, in the yeah, West. But that, that's a way to explain. First of all, if you're going to win a title. You're going to have to beat the best teams teams anyway. So, yeah, maybe he hasn't made the finals because of the competition in the West. But if he did, in theory, he'd have an easy road because uh, the East sucks so much, apparently. I agree with your general point. This is the moment to define your legacy, not what happened, but what is about to happen. I I think there's a better point here. Yeah. Is that why isn't Steve Nash saddled with the – albatross of not winning a championship like Chris Paul is. I have a theory on it. I thought that's where you were going with this. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's what I said. That's what I started with. Chris Paul has separated himself from guys like Steve Nash, and he will do so. The point I'm making is Mm -hmm. that if I would have said entering the playoffs, how much is Chris Paul's legacy defined by not making or winning a title? That would have been as high as any player, Barkley and him, and maybe Stockton and Malone would be the highest, right? Yes. I mean, they're right up there. Sure, yeah. And what, Steve Nash is nowhere near that universe. Why? I have a theory. It's because it felt like Nash's teams were ahead of the curve, so all the analytics people felt like, oh, this was the precursor, this was the proto version or whatever they right, call right, it. Right, right, right. And also because of that Spurs series with the bench and the, and the suspensions, there's a sense the Suns were somehow jobbed, right? Most definitely. And then if you look at Chris Paul, it feels like that he, because he's such a strong personality, was the reason the team didn't advance. If only he could get out of Blake Griffin's way. If only DeAndre Jordan and him didn't conflict. And so on one hand, you've got a, a guy, Nash, that's considered better than his fate, better than no titles. And with Chris Paul, he seems to be the player that people think he doesn't have any titles because of himself, because of Chris Paul. That seems very, like, uh, Nash ha- is a victim. <laughs> right. Chris Paul is the victimizer. You said something interesting. You brought up an interesting dichotomy. Steve Nash was thought of as the precipice of a new style of basketball. I remember when he said after he lost. Oh, oh, he's not the precipice. The precipice is the point. 
Well, you're up at the precipice. You fell over the precipice. A person isn't a precipice. Yeah, that's a location. I got it. All right. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where Chris but, Paul, people <laughs> are saying, you can't win with a traditional point guard. This kind of style won't work. And obviously, he's made it farther with the Phoenix Suns than Steve Nash ever did. You know, kudos. <laughs> huh. Except it's easy to do things. But you're saying Chris Paul was playing, is playing an offense or a style that is outdated where Nash was is playing a style or was playing a style that was forward looking that was that was before right. its time. And when he was a consultant with the Warriors and they won, he said I knew this style could work. Yeah, okay, with better players than you it can, sure. Yeah, I jeez. Jeez. <laughs> so the white guy you don't like. <laughs> I like Steve Nash. And, and you don't like Stockton either. I just think they're worse uh -huh. than Chris Paul. Just coincidentally. <laughs> yeah, coincidentally. And, and the others on that list, go through the list again. Let's see. We got Magic, obviously. Okay, okay, Oscar. Okay. And then Stockton at three. Steph Curry at four. I've seen a trend. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas at five. I've seen a trend. And then it goes uh, Chris Paul and Steve Nash. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So what you're saying is that you like black point guards and yes. not and not white point guards. Yes, black Jesus. I don't think Clyde you would. Frazier. I don't think you would have liked my game at all. <laughs> it's hilarious you mentioned that because honest to God, if you would have asked me ten years ago, Mackenzie, what's what the one player you would be in the NBA? I would have said my game's a lot like Boris Diaw. And then you brought that up just last week. I'm like, wow, what a coincidence. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Moving on. <laughs> All right. We got a best bet. We got two of them. Not just the bonus one from Fads. We got two more. Diamond Dave Essler. Some call him Uncle Dave. When he's mad, he's Diamond Dave. When he's all jovial, pocket full of money, stacked to the roof, he's Uncle Dave. He's got, oh, look at this. Another Heisman best bet. And low, he's going to have everyone. How many of these is there now? <laughs> Let me see. He had two last week. One This is the fourth one. Okay. But they're all like 20 to 1 or more, right? Yeah, this is actually the lowest one at 20 to 1. Okay. The lowest one. What does that mean, lowest? Least payout compared to the 40 okay. and 50. All right. So 20 to 1. A little fellow from USC. Let's listen. I'm going to give out one more pseudo dark horse Heisman winner. USC quarterback Keaton Slovis at 20 to 1. Last year, the kid threw for almost 2,000 yards in what was a six-game Pac-12 season. He also led the nation in completions per game. Prior year, as a freshman, he threw for over 3,500 yards with 30 TD passes. He's got some flaws. This past offseason, he worked with Jordan Palmer and Tom House. Two quarterback gurus have worked with guys named Ryan, Breeze, and Brady, to name a few. His odds to be the first overall pick in the 2022 draft are only 8-1. to one. Only behind Rattler and Sam Howell, another guy we gave out as an option to win the Heisman. USC has a favorable schedule, or at worst, they don't play Oregon or Washington during the regular season. Look, if Rattler doesn't win, and remember, he's had some injuries himself in the past, but Slovis has as good a chance as any to win the Heisman, and I'm betting him 20-1 to 1 to do just that. Okay, we got USC, big name. Six games, 2,000 yards. Completions per game, working with Jordan Palmer, okay, and Tom House, all right, good pedigree there. Eight to one to be the number one overall pick. Uh huh, uh huh. This is the same thing. I like it. I also like that. I I feel like the Pac-12 might be in a position for a resurgence. Remember, they replaced their commissioner, who was divisive, or let's say. Uh, he wasn't purposely divisive, I don't think, but people certainly were divided on him. And controversial might be the right word. 
And they hired a guy from Vegas, I think the MGM biz dev guy. And George, oh Lord, what's his name? Kliakov. Kliakov. <laughs> Sounds like you don't want to owe the Kliakov clan money, is what I'm thinking. But uh, it's almost like when, uh, <laughs> oh, I, for, I always forget his name, the dude from Showtime. Uh, that, that's like the bodyguard fixer. Oh, Ray Donovan. It's like, I think Ray Donovan and the, the Donovans went against the Kliakoffs at one point. <laughs> They're the types that are like always departing on like a ship or something. Like they meet down at the docks before they leave for parts, ports unknown. <laughs> they just nod when they see each other. I mean, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, this guy's a money guy. So I'm sure he's going to come along and say, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. We're doing things differently. It might perk up interest in the Pac-12. And all of a sudden, now the USC having a resurge. I mean, if he's going to win the Heisman, the assumption is USC is going to do well. And if they do, you know, they get a lot of attention. I think the team matters because you assume that players are going to have to have a good year. The team's going to have to have a good year. The question is how much of an imprint, how much of an effect would that team having a good year have? And USC would be high, their resurgence at the top of the list. I don't like that it's only 20 to 1 because, again, I believe players can become known so quickly that the multiple-year buildup or even last year's buildup is unnecessary, though in the past it used to be necessary. Next up, the hitman, the translucent one. Five, 11, and three-quarters, 144 pounds. He golfs. His hat is like double as big as him when he golfs. <laughs> but he knows his freaking props. And he's got a defensive rookie of the year bat. Now this is, I like this because it's niche. It's something that, that just everyone doesn't know, which means usually those sharps bet these kind of things. Uh, the odds are, it feels like there's always a couple of days even for someone like me that's not a player guy that you hear about something, an opportunity, and you can act on it even though you might be 24 hours, 36 hours later than the, than the first kind of rumblings of sharpness. So it's kind of a paradox, these kind of bets. Uh, on one hand, you think you're only betting against other sharps, but for whatever reason, whatever, if it's an indifference of the bookie because the limits aren't super high, but I see these kind of things, especially when they're jumbo payouts offering opportunities, especially when you have an expert like the hitman, let's listen to his analysis. Best bet, Jameen Davis, plus 1,200, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Good down all the way to plus 800. Linebacker's always been a stat-padding position in Ron Rivera's defenses, going back to his Carolina days. And Davis is Rivera's hand-picked next potential star linebacker. Daniel Jeremiah called Davis a player ready to compete for Defensive Rookie of the Year in year one. And Davis benefits from having an elite front four in front of him, as well as playing on one of the league's best overall defenses, for a playoff contending team. Linebacker and edge rusher are the two positions that you need to look at for this award. Since 1995, an edge rusher or linebacker has won this award 20 times, and the average draft position of those players was 12. Davis was picked 19th. Davis has star potential on what could be the league's best defense. Best bet, Jameen Davis, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Now, this is available at the time, uh, and I think currently, William Hill at 14 to 1, Westgate 12 to 1, most other spots 9 to 1. So one shop. And if you can get the better number, it's almost like your VIG is getting, to, if we assume the market is 950, 
And again, what is the market? Meaning, just be, if a bunch of clone books who copy each other have the same line, it's not, you know, means like one line. Uh, the sharper the book, the more liquidity, the more weight I would put on it. But in general, if you're getting a good number, you can almost get rid of the VIG just by shopping. Now it's, can you be better than the average better against you, or at least the average better is moving the line to whatever degree that's weighted. So 14 to 1 is out there, but less is available. Here's why I like this one. Good rookie of the year doesn't, or defensive rookie of the year doesn't need to be like a monster team winning, you know, first seed, number one seed. So what people underrate, though, is how much defense or other good players on D helps any individual defender. So Pro Football Focus talks a lot about how Aaron Donald, whoever is the D tackle with him, is going to have a good year, uh, a, you know, better than their typical career numbers. Why? Because you've got one of the best of all time, the best currently going at the position, D-tackle, and what is he getting? Double teams. He's getting the attention. So for you to get the uh, – to do better, to perform better, it's like the difference between being a number one and a number two receiver. Instead of the best corner on you or du getting doubled based on how the team approaches it, You've got the other thing. And we've seen a lot of receivers, for example, that are great number twos that aren't great number ones. The Washington football team's defense is strong. And you could make the case it was strong last year. You could make the case they made a number of key additions. If Washington has the kind of defensive year I expect them to, it's going to be a lot easier for Davis to win this award. And I guess what I meant when I was saying, oh, they don't have to be a great team, I guess I'm more saying this being a secondary award, it doesn't have to be the best player on Washington defensively. It just has to be the best rookie on Washington, and then hopefully that's the best rookie in the league. But I would bet big money right now that Davis won't be the best defensive player on Washington this year. But instead of that being a disadvantage, as it would be if we were betting defensive player of the year it's an advantage because the goodness the quality the uh, elite nature of other defenders on washington he's not competitive with he benefits from it's pretty well said couldn't have done it better myself oh well, god we know that <laughs> what do you say something all right <laughs> three best bets in the book but you know what here's what i can assure you and you can talk and you can act like you know this and I'm wrong about that and you'd like to bet me on this. No, no. But what I know for sure, even if you might be right sometimes, what I know for sure is there are no sure things. The only sure thing <laughs> is there are no sure things. Don't hate anything at all. Don't hate nothing at all except hatred. Mm -hmm. You following that, Spencer? <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> put that in the um the google machine quote don't hate nothing at all except hatred see what comes up one game if we played them 10 times they might win nine but not this game not tonight even the russians they thought short thing nap nat <laughs> what came up it's all right ma i'm only bleeding 
Bob uh, Dylan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. Yesterday, uh, Wednesday, SOV, we had a short little, oh, my God, this bet seems like the surest damn thing ever. And you know what? Ooh, it lost. Mackenzie, we were going to talk about it on air. Well, let's listen, and then we'll get your answer, because I asked during the show how much you would have bet in this scenario. We'll get your answer. First, let's listen. This is a short one. Imagine how much you would have bet, Jonas, if I would have said, okay, 7 nothing in this baseball <laughs> game, bottom of the, you know, half inning in. <laughs> I got a bookie, Jonas. He's got a death wish. He wants to give us seven and a half runs. So we get to lay even money, but we are plus seven and a half runs. And oh, by the way, we're leading by seven after the first or after the first half of the inning. How much would you bet? I'll tell you this. If it wasn't possible a scan, like, you know, if it was like 100% legit, no pass post, you know, like a fresh Prince of Bel-Air where he plays the lottery from the day before and, and uh, Jeffrey thought he won because, <laughs> yeah, no. If I knew it was on, I would bet everything I've got at my house because the odds of losing that are like, what, 100,000 to one? This, yeah, I, although it, with it being the Cubs, uh, ah, yeah, I think it's a little more realistic. But honestly, how much would you bet? It's a 7 nothing, and there's a bookie there with the money that will put it up in escrow. Like, it will be in a safety deposit box waiting. And you just watch the first half of the first inning. So I and would you're, bet. You're getting seven and a half yeah. runs, and you're up seven. All right. I would bet five times what I normally bet. <laughs> Which, which, considering I only bet ten dollars max, that puts me at fifty bucks, which is a significant bet. For you know, me. Jonas, sometimes yeah. your squareness is cute. <laughs> this one I don't like as much. Right, this is where, you, this is where. Now listen, Mackenzie. Before I, I'm going to ask him this question, the same one. But let me tell you something. I kind of have the intern mentality. Is make you know a couple years of like scrounging, and then you start to make some money. Mackenzie hasn't made a ton of money with me. He's done a good job. He's moving towards it one day. But but maybe three or four months into working for us, so about a year ago, he's like watching the Lakers game. I think it was the, was it the Lakers? Celtics Raptors. The, the Celtics. He's watching the Celtics game, and it looks like he's sweating every bucket. And, <laughs> and just in passing, I go, you bet this? He goes, yeah. I go, well, how much you got on it? He goes, 2000 oh, I go, geez. what? <laughs> Jesus. And, and what's your normal Jesus. bet? I mean, your normal bet in the NBA is what? 330 bucks to win yeah. 300 So he bets 330 to win 30 which is a nice number. And he just on a whim decides to bet 2000 So he won, by the way. <laughs> so now here's what I, I, we need to say. McKenzie on a series price in the NBA that goes to game seven bets 2000 oh, And man. Jonas on a 99.999 percenter <laughs> says he'll bet $50. Yeah. I've never bet more than $100 in my life. So you would have bet NBA the most game. you've ever bet on that. What no. was the thing you bet 100 on? Okay, I had a parlay, and I lost the parlay because it went to overtime. I had the under. It went to overtime, and Tracy <laughs> McGrady got fouled on a three, and he hit all three free throws with no time remaining. So the the under didn't cash and therefore the entire bet got got ruined and I was a busboy at TGI Fridays <laughs> and I realized I was working that entire night for free because uh, of what happened. So, so I never did it again. A busboy bets a hundred on a parlay. Yeah. 
and Jonas, an actual radio host, would bet 50 yeah, on a not. short thing or yeah. almost a short thing. Wooey. Wooey. So, and we'll get Spencer too. I don't want a lot of him and Holland. One percent to a hundred percent. How much do you put down in that spot? Seventy-five percent of my net worth. Yesterday you said fifty percent. Exactly, and I discussed it with you, and you made a good argument. It's ninety-nine point nine percent. Spencer, twenty percent. I get too nervous with, with those kind of bets. <laughs> but it's ninety-nine point nine percent. And know plus, something? you're young; you can make it up. I see, just feel like I have bad luck with these see, things. See, honestly. see, oh, woe is me. Seeing Spencer bet like 20% of his net worth, I think I would be like wanting a volume prescription after. <laughs> Just, I mean, imagine the way his finger, I mean, he'd be biting his finger. Oh, oof. All right, boys. Next week is a holiday week. We'll do, I'll probably do something, but it may be a big chunk of best of. And then the week after, we are hitting the ground running. So check in next week. Have low expectations. And then anything's going to be pleasant. And then the week after, have high expectations because we're going to exceed them.